This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Have you made that adjustment? Like, it's catching me off guard. But I had a whole week in Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, and they were fully in the Christmas spirit, and that helped tremendously. So there's your prescription. If you're having trouble getting into the mood, just on a trip to Disneyland. Just fixes it right away. Uh, How did you do with Thanksgiving Mm, with a family? Anybody here last week when we talked practically about uh, the holiday how-to's? I had one of those moments that I'm literally in the moment and thinking, how do I apply what we talked about last Sunday like in this moment? <laughs> Which, again, I, like, I know the temptation is to think that whoever is up here is some kind of expert. No, 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 no. We are all in this together. And one of the things I said last week was that for me, sometimes board games bring out the beast. That was one of the things that's like, oh, some holidays. And I had one of those moments that was like, it's happening, the holiday how-to, I need help. <laughs> Did you do okay with Thanksgiving? Yeah. Hey, all right, good, okay, well, we're warming up, we're warming up on the family uh, functions. <laughs> Let's talk gifts for just a second before we jump into the God With Us series. Let's just talk Christmas gifts for a second. Does anybody else make a spreadsheet to help them track who they're giving to and what they're giving? Let's use the thumbs again. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which I know spreadsheets can maybe seem a little ridiculous, but it's like part of how I remain calm through the holidays and enjoy the gift giving. Uh, So I know that gifts is a big part of this season. It can be kind of intimidating to know what to get and how to afford it and when will we have time to do that. So I would like to point out a little uh, gift from New Life to you called the Phase Shop. It's part of our new next-gen approach, and it's part of what we consider parent partnership. The idea would be that we know it's intimidating to head out to the internet or to head out to the toy store. Is Toys R Us even a thing anymore? They're back. They're back. Okay. Toys R Us. It just can be overwhelming. And then for those of you that are looking for gifts that are faith-based, that also can be overwhelming. But getting a gift of a new Bible... I don't know if you have like the Bible that you've been reading for forever and you've got notes in it. If you've ever tried to have a new Bible, what kind of fresh breath that brings to your engagement with God, or it's apparently terrible. Oh, you got to highlight everything. It's true. Like if they had to like put work into it. (laughs) Anyway, I know that it can be overwhelming. So we have had a team of people that have worked tirelessly to get resources to your fingertips. And construction required us to get out of the eventual spot where the face shop will be. But it is beautifully front and center for you. So I just want to highlight a couple of things of how this can be helpful to you. One, if you're looking for a faith-based gift, we have those out there. Two, it's all arranged by ages. So there's preschool stuff, there's elementary stuff. So if you're wondering, like, what kind of a Bible do you get for a fourth grader? How do I... Where do I start for them? We have vetted hundreds of Bibles to come up with a recommendation for you. So it's all organized according to the phases of kids. But then also just for adults, like, you guys deserve some vetting on your behalf as well. So there are two sections I'm refraining. Yeah, the adult sections. (laughs) 
We don't have good language for that yet. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but on one side, there are books for grown-ups that are not Bibles. And then on one side, um, it's all kinds of different Bibles. Like, it, depending on if you're like a super student and you really want to just get into the history of it. Or if you like to doodle while you're learning, there's an inspiring one that has space for doodling and even some like coloring book uh, aspects to it. So that's one way that it's a gift. Another way it can be a gift for you is that we have a special order form. And if you have, like, you're trying to get a gift for your grandkid that you're like, okay, they're in seventh grade, they're super into this pop culture thing, and I just don't really know what I'm doing. I would like them to be having, I don't know, books or something or movies that are clean but that speak to where they are in life. Our team will actually research for you and email you links of ideas. We want to partner with you, however. So there is a special order form back there as well. If we're out of stock of something, there's a form for you to fill out. You pay for it. We ship it straight to your house. You don't even have to remember to come back here and pick it up. The Faya Shop is here to give the gift of partnership and customer service to you. So let us help you. However that is, let us help you. We would be happy to do that. Make your Christmas just one smidge easier. We'll take it. We'll take it. So that that crack team is back there. They'd be happy to help you. One other thing I will highlight. You might want to, does anybody else give themselves a gift at Christmas? Yes! I, that should not surprise me whatsoever. I always get myself just a little something. I try to keep it in the price range of a stocking stuffer, but sometimes it elbows out of that. Uh, You might want to, if you are a parent, you might want to get yourself a gift. All of my parent friends communicate to me that one of the biggest stressors of parenting is feeling behind, not good enough, and as though there are things that they're supposed to be imparting to their kids that they're not getting to. That seems a common theme amongst my friends who are parents. There is a set of books out there that you can buy one at a time. You don't have to buy the whole set, but it has broken by incredibly well-researched Christians. Child development and faith combined together year by year by year. So I am holding the parenting, your fourth grader. One of the things as I read this series that I just, even not as a parent, I just breathed a sigh of relief is it just breaks it down. This year, you don't need to have all of the conversations related to this. I know you're already thinking about college, but that's okay. Here are the conversations to be having with your fourth grader. Here are uh, conversation starters. Here's what you can expect emotionally that's happening in a fourth grader's life. Here's what's physically happening in a fourth grader. Here are games to play with your fourth grader that keep things light and fun and, and keep that sense of connection, even as life is getting harder for them and they're maybe less prone to constantly be bouncing around like a second grader is. Like... Every book, no matter which age you have, is laid out the same exact way. You can read it in less than an hour, but it's actually not even meant to be read in one setting. It's got a whole bunch of places where it's asking you questions about your dreams for this year, and you can journal in that. One of the things that I thought was, if you were to do this, it's a memento to your kid of the passionate dreams that you have for them when this year is done. But it's also a partnership thing for you. And like, you don't need to take on all 18 years. Just here's fourth grade. Like, let's just be in this moment. So if you're thinking about getting a gift for yourself, grandparents, I have had uh, grandparents vet this as well. Super helpful. So this, these are the phase books. That's why we called it the phase shop. 
highly, highly recommend a little stress reliever. In my opinion, this is a little stress reliever for those of you that are parents. All right, there's my commercial for the face shop. It is our gift to you. <laughs> we have had fun with that. You might not know this about me, but I love to read. So that was a total gift to me, to vet resources for you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that process. Okay, let's talk about the Christmas story. This morning, I would actually like to tell us the Christmas story, which is familiar probably to all of us in this room. But one of the things that has uh, really settled on my spirit this year as I consider the Christmas story is a twist to the Christmas story. That when we tell it, all, we might, two different people might tell the same exact story and you end up with a completely different point to the story. This year, as I have pressed in with my own relationship with God, one of the things that I have come to realize is the way that we tell the Christmas story has a great effect on how we view God for the rest of the year. And so this morning, I want to tell the Christmas story in the traditional sense, just to make sure we're all on the same page about the basics of the Christmas story. But then I want to talk about how I'm seeing the Christmas story differently this year. And it ties into this idea of God with us. So let's start with the basic Christmas plot. And like all good stories, I'm going to go ahead and say Christmas, but it's based on a true story because I wasn't there and I'm paraphrasing on top of it. So it's based on a, on a true story. Here are the basic plot points. How do all good stories begin? Once upon a time. No. In the beginning, there was God and God created humanity. And God gave humanity free will for the purposes of being able to interact. That no relationship is worth its salt if you are forced into that relationship. So God created humanity, but he also gave humanity free will for the purposes of being able to connect. But man used free will in a way that caused great havoc and harm. And we call that the fall of humanity. That sin entered the world and that free will was used in a way that actually created chaos. And so God created the law, which was a set of basic guidelines in order to help the use of free will to stay inside a less dangerous uh, trajectory, for lack of a better word. But the God created the law. And then between when the law was created and when the Savior was born on Christmas... There is this struggle, a consistent struggle for mankind to utilize their free will in a particular way that was not destructive. And then the Savior comes into the world and provides hope in a new way. This is a beautiful, beautiful story. And in case it's not clear, the Savior is that little baby Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas. That is a day we have picked, but it's a nice day to commemorate this beautiful story. But one of the things that I have seen in, as I have walked my own faith journey out, but also as I have observed other people walking their faith journey out, that there is something about the way that we tell the Christmas story. It's not just the Christmas story. It's the story of how God and humanity have interacted together that has seemed to come out with the, with the narrative of, I would say, modern Christianity has a tendency to have a narrative that you suck, but God is awesome anyway. 
And I know that's strong language, and I can feel my mom cringing right now. <laughs> Apparently, I used like four spicy words last week, and I didn't even notice. So I apologize. I apologize. I legitimately prayed about the use of that word, mom. <laughs> but I think we all have had that sense of like, dude, it does not matter how much I work at it. I just am not coming up to stuff. And we consistently see the gap between the reality that is us and the beauty that is God. And I think the way that we tell the Christmas story is further impacting that narrative. That the way that we have told the story of God's interaction with humanity has further impacted that narrative. That we have this tendency, just if left to our own like undiplomatic way of saying things, this is what a lot of us feel. That we just stink, but God is good anyway. And that's a beautiful story about God. That's a beautiful story about God. But if that is what we believe, it has broad-reaching ramifications of how we interact with God on a daily basis and how we pursue our faith. It's similar. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking, has anybody read any of Grimm's fairy tales? Which I think is so perfect. That is the name. Grimm's fairy tales. Which I think this is... That's a perfect depiction of how the Grimm's fairy tales go. But juxtapose that to Disney's fairy tales. They're telling the same story. It's the same basic plot line. If you read the story of Cinderella, the Cinder Girl from Grimm's, it's the same basic plot line as Disney's version of it. But the story that you come out with, the final product that is conveyed to us through those stories, is completely different. Today, what I want to talk about in the Christmas story is us beginning to turn that narrative around, that Christmas says something completely different than this modern narrative that we tend to have. So let's go back over the Christmas plot, same plot points, but through a little bit of a different lens. Once upon a time, still starts there, in the beginning was God. And God wanted to have relationships beyond what he had then. So he created humanity. He knit humanity together. He made them in his own image. Both men and women reflect something about who God is. And he said it was good. Really good. And he gave them free will so that they could have the capacity to be masters of their own destiny and choose to have dreams and choose to include him in those dreams. That was his hope. And yet chaos is part of our human condition, that that free will has some pretty broad bounds. And so God brought a system of law into place, and it's just basic tiny little guidelines of like, hey, you're going to like this human condition a lot more when you're not killing each other. Like, not only is that not good for your society at large, but what happens in your heart before you have done that? And what happens in your heart after you've done that? You're not going to like how that feels. And if murder doesn't feel good, then let's talk about envy, because it's going to plant some seeds into your life that you're not going to like. And lying and basic ideas about idolatry and marriage, like, hey, that's going to go better for you if you go ahead and keep that relationship here, like, instead of out. Basic guidelines made to protect them. But then there was still struggle, still so much struggle. And out of love, God sent a Savior. 
And it's a beautiful story. But if we end it there, we still have the temptation to view it the other way. So now I want to just play around with another thing that Christmas says to us. Let's go to Matthew 121 because this is a verse that we tend to emphasize. She, that would be Mary, that is Jesus' mommy, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is a beautiful statement about who God is and how he is willing to help us. But if we have this narrative about I stink, but God is still awesome, then this verse is very easy to emphasize, like you're messing up and God came in to save the day. That's what we tend to emphasize in our story about God's interaction with people. But just two verses later, here comes this other thing that is equally true. But we emphasize this one. Let's go to that next verse, Matthew 1.23. A virgin will become pregnant, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Think about when they, when it, like, he was already given his formal name of Jesus, which is God saves. But what God predicted about Jesus is that when it was all said and done, the nickname that Jesus would have like he's named Jesus, but they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the truth of the Christmas story is that Jesus is our savior. That is a true statement. But what God would say is over the lens of time, you're going you're to say about this guy that it was like being with God, that God has come to be with us. And it changes the whole story. In fact, gazillion years, oh, just listen to this. Let's go to John for a second, which is one of Jesus's closest friends explaining the story of Jesus. This presses into this narrative of a completely different picture, not just Savior, but God with us. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that nobody needs to be destroyed. By believing in him, anybody can have a whole and lasting life. I love the verse that comes right after this. This is maybe a verse that we're familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you've been around church, this is a common verse. Look at the verse right after it. So beautiful. God didn't go to all of the trouble to send his son merely to point an accusing finger. Like that's what we tend to think is that God's so beautiful and so awesome that when he looks at us, he's just like, good try, like nice effort. God did not go to all the trouble to send his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. That is the narrative of a savior for sure, but the tone to this plot point is completely different. And this is what God said would be the case when he predicted his son's appearance onto the earth. Way back in Isaiah, if you know your Bible, it's like way back in the Bible, these were the verses that were used to tell the Jewish nation, you're going to recognize Jesus when he comes because he's going to be like this. Let's go to Isaiah, please. This will happen when the special child is born. I just love that. The special child. God will give us a son who will be responsible for leading the people. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, and the Prince of Peace. That is something we could use. We don't just need a Savior to come in and rescue us. We could really use some peace, some lasting, ongoing peace. 
So I'd like to do just a little bit of a theology lesson, and I'm sorry if you don't enjoy this as much as I do. I love to think about these things. I'm trying not to nerd out too badly, but let's talk about where this story comes from that leaves us with this sensation that God is just Savior instead of also Prince of Peace, Helper, this partner that we were promised. So let's go back to the plot points of the story of Christmas. I believe God gave the law to offer peace to the people. So these basic rules that he provided would provide two kinds of peace. One, if you will follow these guidelines, it's going to make peace between you and your neighbors. When you read this story, this time in history was barbaric, like massively barbaric. So these basic guidelines allowed people to live at peace with each other. It was a gift from God. But also the way that he established the law was this whole system of animal sacrifice, which I think just reflected the nature of early man and this barbarism. But it was animal sacrifice. But what it allowed was for people to feel confident that they could be right with God. There's a huge amount of peace to be found in the idea that God and I can be on okay terms, that I can be at peace with this beautiful, perfect God. This was meant to be a gift, this law, but it was contractual. It was set on, okay, you're going to do these things, but in order to be at peace with God, at peace with me who created this law, you're going to have to do some things to get yourself set right. These sacrifices, these things. You do one bad thing, you do this to fix it. You do this many bad things, you're going to need to do this to fix it. It was this contract between them, but at least it gave them a sense that they could be at peace with God. I think where we go awry with the, Christian, the Christmas story is that we apply that same concept to the other plot point. The very last plot point on these plot points is that we apply this contractual idea to the idea of the Savior, that we view ourselves as flawed and that God brought a Savior to the rescue to bring us peace between he and I. And that is a true statement. That is the story of Christmas in the sense of the Savior part. That here's the beautiful thing. He was breaking the contract. Up until this point, the contract had been, you mess up, you fix it by doing these things. Christmas, by him sending Jesus, it changed the contract entirely and said, you can't save yourselves. It's not bringing you peace. I still see that struggle everywhere. I can come near and be the Savior. That was a major plot twist, a massive plot twist meant to bring us peace. This is the concept of Emmanuel, God with us. This is that concept. But when we stop the story there, it's so tempting to come back and continue to read our relationship with God on this contractual lens, with this contractual lens. The story goes on. Christmas is just the beginning of the plot twist. There's another plot line that is supposed to be our dominant narrative when we consider our relationships, the idea of engaging with God. And it's this idea of partnership. God with us signals to us that the whole relationship has changed. That God did not only send a savior, he intended to partner 
with us in a different way. What Christmas said to us was not only that God had always been for us, all of those plot lines shows God being for us, but Christmas changed the story entirely to say that God is now with us. God has always been for us, but now he is actually with us. What could be so compelling that God would actually change his address? That up until this point, he's not with his people. He loves them, he's for them, he's working on their behalf, he cares greatly, he's watching over, he's protecting, he's doing all of that. But Christmas is the first moment where God is with us. What is so compelling after thousands of years of humanity for God to switch the plot line, to have a complete different plot twist? I believe it's because he always intended for us to do it together. That original creation, when he gave us free will for the purposes of choosing to share life with him, has always remained his main dream, his main goal, was that we would do life together. And the law was not providing it. That contractual relationship was not providing it. He wanted to do something to demonstrate that he was with us, but also practically to offer us something that we didn't have when he was at a distance. I don't know if that's quite right to say that, but when he was just for us instead of with us, that Jesus's arrival as a baby signified this plot twist. That partnership is not just God being with us in the form of Jesus, that the story actually goes on. In John Jesus is wrapping up his time on earth. So he was born as a baby at Christmas, and then he spent 30 years growing up, and then he spent three years like full-on embracing this role of being God with his people, of modeling for us what it looks like to live with the heart that God has, what it, li- what it looks like to live at peace with other people, how to think like God. But he's wrapping up his time on earth and he is, he's telling his followers that he's going to go and they're freaking out, which seems great. I mean, if you've gone from living far away from God to all of a sudden having him physically in your proximity, you would be chagrined to let that go. Like I would fight that as well. But Jesus says to them this, this is part of the story of the interactions between them. I assure you that it's better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What he is referring to is the Holy Spirit, which is a piece of, I mean, we're getting into the weeds of theology, but this was a major plot twist. Jesus did not come just to save us. He came to partner. But when God chose to live in human form, he was trapped in the same form that the rest of us are, which is I can't be in two places at once. I cannot be here and be with you in that empty chair. I'm stuck here. When Jesus came to earth in the form of that baby, he peed his pants like everybody else. He was stuck in human form. That is the nature of the human condition, is it not? (laughs) You start there. Anyway, he was limited to human form. What he was saying was, don't worry, when I go, when I am no longer in this human form, I am sending you help. This was also a major shift from the early days of man's interaction with God. For the first time, God had come to earth at Christmas and was staying put 
first in the form of Jesus and then in the form of the Holy Spirit so that you and I have partnership. We have access to peace that is completely different than what early Jesus followers had because they had his proximity, but then he was stuck in single places and totally different than what early God worshipers had before Jesus's time. We have a gift they did not have. This is the story of God with us, not trying to fix us, not trying to measure us, not trying to point out our rubbish, not checking on us. And maybe most primarily for you and I that didn't live in Jesus's day, he was also not just visiting. God is now with us, not just for us, but with us. He was always for us, but now he is with us. That is a major shift for us. But then to me, that begs the question, how does that affect me this Christmas? <laughs> like, why does that matter? Like, thank you for the theology lesson. I appreciate the idea of the contractual relationship versus how does this affect this Christmas? One of the things that I observe off of myself, but also in the conversations that I have with other people, it seems like there is a question that is hanging in the air for most of us about our faith, which is why is my faith not affecting my day-to-day -day life like I think it should? Like I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I really want to be a good Christian. Why is it not affecting that peace that was promised? I want to be free of worry. I want to stop this addiction. I want to treat people better. I want to lay in bed at night, not berating myself. Why is my faith not affecting my day-to-day -day life more than I think it should? Like, it should be doing a certain thing. And I think this narrative, this story that we tell often, that ends with the Jesus story, with the Christmas story, as just Jesus as Savior, it is a beautiful truth but it is not the end of the story. This idea of God with us changes everything. The other narrative leads us to believe, if we read the Christian story through the contractual lens, it leads us to constantly be tempted to do more, do more, do more, do more, do more. If that's how we see our relationship, then it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I snapped at that grocery clerk. And then we head out to our car and we're begging for forgiveness and we're trying to be nice to the next person that we see, but now we're swimming in shame. So it's even harder to be nice to the next person that we see. This consistent blend of shame that comes with the narrative that is, I stink, but God is good anyway, leads us to believe that we need to do more, do more, do more. But the Christmas story, the plot shift, the thing that changed when Jesus came to the earth communicates to us that it is not do more, it is just draw near. That is our main secret. The secret sauce of Christianity is not a contractual relationship where I do things wrong and then I try to make it right by doing things righter. More right things, <laughs> more right things. It leaves us in the hole. And one of the things I've noticed for myself is that when I have pressed into this narrative about I stink, but God is good anyway, that the idea of a savior actually just increases my debt. 
Like if I already feel stinky and then God had to step in and save the day, that now I'm just further in a hole of debt. What Christmas says to us is two things. It's no longer us to get ourselves, it's no longer up to us to get ourselves right with God. That a savior has already come to do that for us. It is no longer our contract to do it ourselves. But then secondly, when God says Jesus is going to be known as Emmanuel, God with us, that the other thing that Christmas says to us is just lean in, draw near. God is with us in our space, in our hearts, in our lives, ready to just be invited in. He is here whether you are doing that or not. This Christmas, my wish for us, and I practiced it this morning as I sat down for a second, was like, oof, I'm already pooped. We haven't even started the service. <laughs> I just thought, okay, this is how Christmas goes a ton. For so many of us, this is how it goes. We're pooped. So this morning, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to draw near. Like, what does that look like? What, what is it that you can do to help me feel this thing that we're talking about this morning? And the visual that I got, which God's going to talk to you however he talks to you, but the visual I got was of a ski lift where you're just standing there, you bend your knees, people, bend your knees, and then it just scoops you up and carries you. This morning, that's the visual that I got. I don't know how this is going to work for you through this Christmas. I don't know when it's going to hit you, the moment that it hits you, where it's like, I'm pooped out. I want a different kind of Christmas this year. I want to feel different. I believe the Christmas story the story of that baby, the story of a character who God said is me with you, is the invitation to not do more, but the invitation to just draw near. Merry Christmas. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And all good stories in this way, right? Happily ever after. Like, let's have that Christmas. All right, Diva. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.